0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s.
1: What Kennedy said uh, in 1961 was crystal clear. He said to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth by the end of the decade. Whether that was good or bad, it was certainly clear.
0: Apollo 11 astronaut Michael Collins. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. 52 years ago this week, the world watched in fascination. As astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first human beings ever to set foot on the surface of the moon. That's one small step for man, one Now, as they were planting their footprints on the surface of the moon, orbiting above, in the command module, was the third member of the Apollo 11 crew, Michael Collins. Because, after all, somebody had to stay in the car with the motor running while Aldrin and Armstrong did their thing. More than 20 years later, I had the chance to meet and interview Michael Collins twice, as a matter of fact. The interview you're about to hear is the second one I did with him. It was about a book he had written called Mission to Mars. So here now, from 1990, Apollo astronaut Michael Collins. How far does this book go toward being some an actual workable plan as opposed to just some fun idea you thought up in your head and thought, maybe someday we could do this? No,
1: it is a, it, it, it is a workable plan. Whether it will become the plan or not, I rather doubt, because I think as the years go by, people will come up with better ideas. But, uh, it is possible to go to Mars very early in the 21st century, which is what I propose, leaving Earth around 2004. Uh, at the rate we're going right now, this will not happen quite that early. Uh, I think President Bush is thinking about the year 2019. At least that's what uh, NASA interprets his remarks as uh, requiring. But it could be done a lot earlier than that
0: if you uh, if put our minds to it. I, you you could make the case that both those estimates are are pretty optimistic uh, in terms of actually you know when you stop and think about it, you're talking about human beings going to Mars and landing there and doing something productive there i mean this is this is stuff that just a few years ago science fiction Well, it's a long trip. You
1: see the moon and back is around a week uh, week's voyage, uh, but Mars and back you're talking close to two years. So your machinery has to be a lot more reliable. You can't have any flat tires or breakdowns along the way. And uh, likewise, your, your crew has to be uh, healthy, strong, and, uh, and, and very stable uh, mentally as well as physically uh, to, to
0: endure it. They have to, this is going to have to be a crew that's going to have to know uh, not only how to fly a spacecraft, but as we saw this past week with the shuttle, they're going to have to know how to fix some plumbing. They're going to have to know how to work on computers that that balk, uh, that break down at the last minute. They have to, these are going to have to be very knowledgeable people, aren't they? Absolutely. Oddly enough, the
1: plumbing problem is one that I do have in in, in the book Mission to <laughs> Mars. I just happened to uh, guess uh, correctly that that would be a problem sooner or later in spaceflight. Uh, it's the kind of thing engineers don't... Engineers like shiny, bright metal parts that slide easily over one another, and uh, plumbing is not that uh, simple. It's a icky, sticky, messy affair that engineers really don't like to fool around with. So. Therefore, I think it's apt to be a problem now and in, and in the future.
0: Well, as anybody who's ever had to replace a washer in the faucet at home knows, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you don't plan on, but you darn well better know what's going on. This is, uh, you know, at one point of the book you talk about them, the, the radio communication having a 10-minute delay, and you don't realize that, that that's a long ways out. They, you, It's too far out, really, to be anything but independent, isn't it?
1: Well, it's going to change your way of... Uh, of conducting a conversation, I think. Uh, if you know, if you've got really 10 minutes to think over, uh, you know, what you've said and what the answer might be, uh, I, I think there'll be a lot of people saying, oops, I didn't really mean to say that. How do I, how do I take that back? Uh, but uh, the conversations, I think, will be very stilted with a 10-minute interval
0: between them. You saw the report, I'm sure, the other day, and for the life of me, I can't remember offhand who issued the report, but it was essentially telling NASA we ought to concentrate on practical down-to-Earth, pardon the pun, scientific uses of space as opposed to, they said, these wonderful futuristic projections about going to Mars and things like that.
1: Well, I think you're talking about the Augustine report, and uh, it did say that we ought to use space to look back at Earth and to take a lot of measurements of what's going on here on Earth, pollution and so on. But it also then went on the next uh, breath and said we ought to be looking toward the planet Mars. So I, I think the Augustine report really is uh, is saying NASA can do both things. You can, you can, uh, I, in their words, you have mission to planet Earth and mission from planet Earth. Mission to planet Earth is using uh, sensors in Earth orbit to measure conditions here on the surface of. Of our planet and then uh, the other half of it is is looking outward and if you look outward uh, Mars clearly is uh, the next logical
0: place it's uh, the closest thing to a sister planet that Earth has now there are those pragmatic individuals who say fine we can go to Mars we can we can take all this equipment up there and we can send guys up there well guys and women up there and we'll find all sorts of neat stuff to bring back and put in the Air and Space Museum but what use is Mars to us we don't know yet. Uh, that would be one of the things uh, to go
1: to, to find out. I will give you a couple of examples that intrigue me. Uh, for example, there there are no aborigines, there are no natives on Mars, so you don't have to kill anybody when you go there. You don't. There would be no reason whatsoever to take any weapons. So now you have a, a colony building that is living uh, in one hopes successfully, without any weapons. Whatever disputes they have, and there will be disputes, they have to solve those problems without weapons. Another thing is they will not be able in that colony to afford the luxury of using something once and throwing it away onto the trash pile. They will be forced to recycle to the maximum extent possible. So you have a a colony somewhere that, that really has become expert on recycling. Well, just those two things—having, getting along without weapons and recycling waste—I think uh, are very, very important to our future here on space. And uh, it may seem strange to go millions of miles uh, out in space to learn how to operate on Earth, but if that's what we have to do, I, I think it would be it would be
0: helpful. Well, would would there be? Could you envision there someday being a whole colony of little? Well, well, I guess the best example I can think of is the very popular movie now with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it that, that envisions colonies on Mars under domes. I have not seen the movie, but
1: from what I hear, uh, it makes sense. Uh, yes, Mars does have an atmosphere, but uh, unlike the Moon, Mars has an atmosphere, but it's a very thin atmosphere. You couldn't uh, breathe it, uh, so you'd have to live under a dome. At, at least initially, there are some really far-out, long-range plans to create an atmosphere that would be breathable on Mars. But
0: you're talking hundreds of years from now. Yeah, I was uh, just in the say meantime, that, domes. Yeah, I was just going to say, this This really is, I mean, what, what you're envisioning here is literally the first step, isn't it? That's, that's
1: exactly right. The final chapter talks about things like... Uh, mm-hmm like these colonies and creating uh, uh, your own atmosphere on Mars and so on. But, but fundamentally, I'm interested in, in getting there and uh, and then letting the, the developments that follow that initial colony, uh, I'll leave that to, to somebody else for, or, or for my next book.
0: After this short break, how can we get America as excited about going to Mars as we were about going to the moon? back to my 1990 interview with astronaut michael collins do you think there would be any shortage of people who would volunteer to go on a mission to mars i think for every available seat you'd find a million highly
1: qualified people Mm -hmm. because you're talking not only the population of the united states i think you're talking the global population what do we have today five or six billions of uh, people uh... In a group that large, there are apt to be millions and millions of highly qualified adventurers, explorers, people who, uh, who have a, a kind of a cosmic itch to, uh, to go out to far and strange places and who would be
0: delighted to sign up for a couple of years to go to Mars. Imagine the TV rights you could sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when you talk about raising money, I mean, look at the Soviet Union. They got $37 million from this Japanese network to put one man up there to just sit and watch. He didn't even have to do anything. Of course, they won't do that a second time. I don't
1: think. I think that, so. That's uh, that's a one-time-only shot, I believe. But uh, no, truly, uh, there are intangible benefits. I think uh, to flying in space and Mars would be uh, clearly on that list. Intangible benefits from uh, from just having human beings feel that uh, they're part of a, of an expanding domain. That uh, the solar system is theirs. That you're you might live here or you might live somewhere else. I think this changes the, the human way of, of looking at uh, our own race, our own evolution, and our own future.
0: Now, of course, the, the Apollo project that you were a part of was, was really was an inspiration. You know, When President Kennedy called on us to, to go to the moon and then when he was mm, tragically shot and, and we decided that, that there was, we owed it to him to, to see his, his vision fulfilled, what vision do we have now that tells us we must go to Mars? Well, we don't have one. Uh, We don't have a unifying vision for our
1: uh, future in space. Uh, What Kennedy said uh, in 1961 was crystal clear. He said to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth by the end of the decade. Whether that was good or bad, it was certainly clear. And uh, there's no equivalent of that Kennedy statement today. I would like to say something like to land men and women from a number of different nations on Mars uh, in the early days of the 21st century and have it be a global equivalent of that nationalistic
0: drive by Kennedy there was an urgency about it uh, when and, and i think it would have hap- happened uh, don't you think it would have happened even if he hadn't been assassinated that there would have there was there was that 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 yeah we can do it spirit that he that he created well
1: there were a lot of factors i think that went into uh, president kennedy's uh, apollo uh, decision uh, clearly the competition with the soviet union was uh, the, the driving uh, impetus behind it and, but there were also, uh, you know, just a feeling of, "By gosh, yeah, we know we Americans can do anything in a technical of a technical nature that we really put our minds to doing," and uh, and uh, and it's an area in which we can look good because his young administration at that time was not looking particularly good. Uh, you may recall the invasion of uh, Cuba, the Bay of Pigs, and so on. So he was beset with political problems and. Uh, it seemed that perhaps going to the moon might, uh, might reinvigorate uh, this
0: country and his own political uh, future. But you also had not, a, not only a young president, but you had a young NASA that had, well again pardon the pun, stars in its eyes. Uh, you have a NASA today that in many ways seems bogged down. It, it seems to, have, in many ways, have, has lost its sense of direction. Would it give up, for example, the space shuttle program to concentrate all its resources instead on, on going to Mars?
1: I, th- I think the Augustine report is pushing NASA in the, in the correct direction. They're, they're telling NASA that they should uh, minimize the use of the shuttle and supplement the shuttle with an unmanned uh, rocket. That unmanned rocket could, uh, could build the components, could put into Earth orbit the, uh, the pieces of a Mars machine, which would then be launched uh, from Earth orbit. So I think NASA is moving in the, in the correct uh, direction. NASA almost as a victim of its own success. It's done a lot of things uh, well in the past, and now people expect it to do things almost at a level of perfection in the future, and they expect it to do not only thing A, but A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And when you start getting a a bunch of different uh, objectives, uh,
0: they kind of get clouded and lost in the mind of the public. Are there things that we can't anticipate when you send people out further out than they have ever been sent before? I mean, we've sent unmanned craft, obviously, out to Mars and, and beyond, but we've never sent people out that far. Are there, are there environmental conditions? Are there, are there physiological things that will happen that we don't know? Well, there are two, uh,
1: there are two physical uh, problems or possible problems with sending people as far as Mars. One is the uh, radiation that their bodies would receive. And, and the second is the effect of just weightlessness, of, of, of having no gravity for their bodies to fight against. Uh, uh, the radiation, I think, can be solved by proper shielding, uh, hard enough, thick enough shell around the, the spacecraft. Uh, the, uh, the physiological problems uh, involve primarily exercise and diet to combat those. But, uh, a- again, uh, the conditions that are faced in space um, it may have some application to things here on earth. Uh, the, uh, the, the loss of bone density, uh, calcium loss uh, caused by weightlessness is, is, is really uh, just a fancy uh, uh, name for osteoporosis. Uh, so if the space medicine people can come up with a proper combination of diet and exercise, to combat osteoporosis in space I think there a lot of valuable lessons to be learned about uh, Mm -hmm.
0: the aging process for older people here on earth not only that but there have been a lot of cosmonauts who have spent a lot a long time in space we already know a lot from them don't we?
1: The Soviets have been up for 366 days and um, and I think that in my mind at least pretty much uh, says you can go to Mars Uh, are the American medical community (laughs) is quite stubborn they don't they don't buy that soviet data they want to uh, reinvent their, their own wheel and uh, so they want to uh, take american astronauts and fly them for 60 180 uh, days 360 and build up make sure that the, the soviets somehow aren't pulling the
0: wool over their eyes <laughs> michael collins died this past april he was 90 and you can find easy Amazon links to Michael Collins' books at our website, heardEverything.com. Oh, and while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Buzz Aldrin.
1: There were times when I wasn't that sure what great heroes we
0: were. You know, I, right after we came back from the moon, there were demonstrations going, anti-establishment demonstrations, and they threw eggs at us. Can you believe that? And also my interview with Apollo 13 astronaut Jim Lovell. The first thought when that bang occurred and we were in deep trouble was, uh, why me? Why now? Why didn't it happen on 12 or wait till 14, you know? (laughs) And that's a typical reaction of anybody who suddenly finds themselves in in a dangerous situation. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, they recently celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary in the small Georgia town where they grew up and where they lived before and after living in the White House. My 1987 interview with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. I thought we'd be bored to death with nothing to do. But it has not worked out that way. Well, we have
1: almost as full and challenging uh, and enjoyable a life now as we've ever had. So we haven't retired by any means, but we've just shifted our emphasis. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything.
0: I'm Bill Thompson.